This morning, Rome time, Pope Benedict had his funeral. It's sober. We are in mourning. It's kind of hard to believe that tomorrow, or not tomorrow, yet yeah, tomorrow is Epiphany. Epiphany of the Gentiles. And it made me sad as I got up and I started looking at the videos and watching the funeral footage. One of the things that was going around was this video of a gentleman coming up to receive the Holy Eucharist, our Lord Jesus Christ, and he gets down on his knees, as I do, as probably you do. He opened his mouth to receive his Eucharistic Lord, Jesus Christ, and he was denied. Then I think another woman comes up, and maybe it's his wife, and he kind of just has her sit back down, and it's heartbreaking. And this video in itself demonstrates the rift between the pontificates of Bennett XVI and Pope Francis. They couldn't bury him soon enough, and they want to bury his legacy. I want to bring your attention here to this beautiful image in the top right corner of your screen. Let me get this NSTI piece out here. Here is Pope Benedict giving Holy Communion to one of the brides of Christ, a nun. She has her veil on. She's kneeling and... Pope Benedict is placing the most precious pearl of great price in the whole world on her tongue because she is humbling herself. She is making herself like one of the little ones. And during the pontificate of Francis, which has been one of destruction, chaos, and confusion, everything traditional, those things that are wholesome, revered, in our tradition as Roman Catholics, have been cast aside, mocked. And if we want to keep them, we're called rigid. And we're associated with all the problems in the church, all the scandals. I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit. I want to run this video for all of you to watch. I was going to turn on the comments here. Very good. We'll, I'll enter into the comments here shortly. But here is the video. All right. What they do, in case you've not seen one of these papal masses, is they have yellow and white umbrellas. And they use these to designate where a priest is in order for you to receive Holy Communion. Now, I want to say from the get-go here, I am not a fan of con celebration. And let me just explain why. When the priest consecrates the sacred body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, this is my body. This is the chalice of my blood. This, like this pencil, all right? In English and in Latin, we have the word for this and we have the word for that. So if I say this pencil, it makes sense. Now, if this pencil was 50 yards over there, I would say that pencil. I wouldn't say this pencil. I wouldn't say, hand me this pencil and it'd be 50 yards away. No. How can you say this is my body when you're standing far away? 
it's confusing. Also, the priest offers the sacrifice in persona Christi, genitive, singular, Christi, of Christ, in the person of Christ. I've been to some of these Novus Ordo Masses where they have 80 priests holding out their hand, saying, this is my body. How is that in persona Christi? How does that designate the heavenly sacrifice and banquet that we see in the book of Revelation in the Apocalypse, where there's one lamb and one high priest? Anywho, here is the footage of the gentleman being refused most holy communion. I'll hit the play. He's right in the center of the screen. He's right there. He gets down on his knees, hoodie back, tongue out. No, he kisses the hand of the priest and walks away. Then this woman goes, nope, don't even bother. We're getting played. Let's watch that again. He's got the hoodie on. He comes forward. The hoodie falls forward. Kneels down, opens his mouth to receive God. Rejected. So he kisses the hand. And he says, this lady, hey, back up. We got played. And then just here's, I mean, with this many hosts, how many particles of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are falling on the earth to be trampled? Thomas Aquinas, the Dominican, would never receive communion like that unless he was celebrating Mass. One more time, here it is. Is this our church? He, the priest says no. There it is. And you know what? The reason I show this, not because it's shocking or weird, this happens to y'all all the time. I get tweets from you. I get DMs. I hear from you in the New St. Thomas Institute. All over, I hear from you saying, well, I was on vacation. I went to a Novus Ordo church. I came up. Now, open my mouth to receive communion and I got denied or my child got denied. What do I say to them? I'm embarrassed. Don't I have a right? Isn't it okay to receive communion on the tongue? And the answer is yes. I'm going to read it to you right now. This is from the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments, the C. DW Cardinal Serra wasn't in charge of this up until recently. Now we have Cardinal Roche. It says the faithful are not to be obliged to adopt the practice of communion in the hand. Each one is free to communicate in one way or the other. End quote. You're not required. You're not obliged. No priest can make you receive in the hand says it right there. In 1999, the Congregation for Divine Worship answered a similar question. Here's the query. Ready for it? Query. Whether in dioceses where it is allowed to distribute communion in the hands of the faithful, a priest or extraordinary minister of Holy Communion may restrict communicants to receive communion only in their hands and not on the tongue. 
the Congregation for Divine Worship, respond, quote, those who restrict communicants to receive Holy Communion only in the hands are acting against the norms, as are those who refuse to, to Christ's faithful the right to receive communion in the hand and diocese that enjoy this indult. It is traditional, it is reverent to receive that way, and the Vatican says you can. And yet here we are in the Vatican at the very funeral of Pope Benedict XVI, and they're refusing it. Now, I want to remind you, look at this picture up in the top right corner. I want to remind you that at papal masses at a certain point, I can't remember the year, but Pope Benedict XVI said that at papal masses, communion would be distributed on the tongue, not in the hand. There's a couple of reasons for this. Number one, it's more reverent. And if you get a copy of my book, Antichrist and Apocalypse, I talk about the significance of receiving the new covenant in the mouth on the tongue. It actually happens once in the book of Revelation. Did you know that? It also happens once in the Old Testament. Did you know that? The book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, is so Catholic and so liturgical. Make sure you get a copy of my book, Antichrist and Apocalypse, and go and read about how the new covenant is placed not in the hand, but in the mouth, on the tongue. So it's more reverent, it's biblical, it's historical, it's traditional, but it also does two things to, to protect the Eucharist. Number one, it keeps occultists and Satanists from stealing the host. True, they could take a host into their mouth with all their saliva on it, walk away and spit it out sacrilegiously and preserve it for some witch's brew. But if you give it to them in their hands, it's super easy for them to steal hosts. And Satanists do boast that they steal hosts. So why would we do something to enable them to steal hosts? Secondly, as I mentioned before, when you have communion in the hand, you have particles of the Eucharist that fall to the earth and are trampled on by the feet of people. Remember when God appeared to Moses, he said, take off your shoes, it's holy land, it's a holy place, you're standing on holy ground, and yet we have God in our presence, and it's a fact that particles fall from the ground. There's that YouTube video, uh, I can't remember who made it, but they have the black gloves on, and they get unconsecrated hosts, and they just handle the hosts, put them in and out, and then on the black gloves, there's particles everywhere, particles on the ground. They're unconsecrated hosts, but he makes a point. We are dealing with the second person of the Trinity transubstantiated into the Eucharist. Why wouldn't we do everything possible to protect the Eucharist? I guarantee you, if the Vatican was going to transport a million dollar or million euros, they would take more caution than they do with the Eucharist in the public. And that's just, that's just embarrassing. That's just shameful for us. Now, I know there's the naysayers out there and they're going to say, oh, Taylor, you know, in the early church, they had communion in the hand. So you're just wrong. We're just going back to the early church. I have refuted this over and over and over. It is a fact that in apostolic times and in the church fathers, the preference 
the norm was communion on the tongue. Councils and synods were held teaching that. Yes, I know that at times communion in the hand happened, and it happened frequently in places. But St. Basil the Great, one of the Eastern Church Fathers, Doctor of the Church, explains why. He says that the Eucharist is to be received directly into the mouth, except in two situations. One situation is where there is persecution and there is no priest or deacon available. The lay people can communicate themselves because you're in a time of persecution. They can receive communion and touch the host when there's not a priest or deacon available because of persecution. The second reason that you can have communion in the hand says, St. Basil the Great, is when you have someone like a desert father or a desert, desert mother. This is someone who lives way out in maybe the Egyptian desert as a hermit, as a monk. And sometimes priests would bring them hosts so that they could commune on Sundays or holy days. And in those cases, they could receive communion in the hand because they would communicate themselves. St. Basil says those are the reasons for communion in the hand. And you'll notice in both cases what's common, the absence of a priest. If a priest is present, the priest is to place the Eucharist in your mouth, unless you're in persecution with no priest around or you're a desert father. And I guarantee everybody watching this live stream right now is not a desert father or a desert mother. And maybe, maybe there's someone in China or in a Muslim country who doesn't have access to the Eucharist. And in such case, they could self-communicate themselves. But otherwise, why are we receiving communion in the hand? The people who wanted to promote communion in the hand for the past 500 years have a name. They're called Protestants. Martin Luther promoted communion in the hand. John Calvin promoted communion in the hand. The Church of England under Archbishop, fake Archbishop Thomas Cramner, also required communion in the hand. Why? Well, we know why. Luther, Calvin, and Cramner, Protestants, heretics, all of them, said that if you give communion in the hand, it teaches people that it's just bread. It's a symbol. It's a sign. It's not the real presence of Jesus. That's what the Protestant heretics said. And that's why they insisted on giving communion in the hands because it downplayed the real presence in the Eucharist. Why then are Catholics copying the Protestants? And you wonder why 70% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. Maybe if you receive in the hand for 20 years or five years, it starts to erode and whittle away your Catholic belief in the real presence. Belief in the real presence before the change, was high. In fact, if you go to traditional communities and you pull there, it's been done, it's like 99% believe in the real presence and transubstantiation, and they all receive on the tongue. Lex orande, lex credende. The law of prayer is the law of belief. And that has to do not just with words, but with actions in the liturgy. All right, I'm going to open up for questions now. Here are the questions I'd like for us to discuss. Number one, was 
the rejection of lay people receiving communion on the tongue, a slight against the memory of Pope Benedict XVI. Number two question for y'all, and I want you to share your experiences in the live chat. Have you ever been denied communion because you were on your knees kneeling or because you wanted communion on the tongue? Those are the two questions I'd like for us to discuss. And of course, you can make comments about other things related to this or other programs. But we're going to jump into those comments and those questions right now. Okay, Boethius says, It feels exceptionally wrong seeing a woman wearing jeans and a leather jacket in the tabernacle while the priest sits. I agree. I agree. This is Anibal Bugnini's liturgical destruction. They want lay people, in particular lay women, all up in the altar area, all around the sanctuary. Why? Because their end game is women deacons, then women priests, then women bishops, then women cardinals, and then women pope. You don't believe me? Go ask them. They want a woman pope. Most definitely they want a woman pope. Oh, and if lay people shouldn't be touching the Eucharist, as it says in the early councils, and St. Jerome says we shouldn't even be touching the holy vessels like the paten or the chalice or the ciborium, then there's no reason why we should have lay Eucharistic ministers. And I am so proud of all the people who have written me in letters, emails, tweets, and DMs who say, Dr. Taylor Marshall, when I first heard you say there shouldn't be lay Eucharistic ministers, I was offended because I was a lay Eucharistic minister. But as I prayed about it and I thought about it, I realized it's for the priests, it's for the clergy to administer Holy Communion. And I went to my pastor and I said, I'd kindly like to remove myself as being a lay Eucharistic minister. And then the pastor always says, why? What's wrong? I just don't want to do it anymore. And they say, thank you. Thank you. We lay people, unless it's a persecution or you're a desert father in the wilderness, we should not be touching the Eucharist for the sake of Christ the King. All right, back into the comments and questions. Uh, Cousin Martin, people calling Taylor an activist for pointing, pointing out an error concerning transubstantiation is the exact issue. I am an activist. Octa non verbum, actions, not words. It's one thing to talk a big game, but we got to live a big game. Don't talk about prayer. Pray the rosary every day. Just do it. I know you're tired at night. Just do it. Just do it. I don't mind being called an activist. If it's supposed to be a diss, no worried. Has anyone been rejected? Has, have you been refused Holy Communion? Here's Wayne Lee. Yes, I've seen a priest denying a person receiving on the tongue due to COVID reason. With my strong faith, I am willing to receive Jesus at the risk of contracting the virus. But what about others? It's a good question. A good comment. That's another thing. During COVID, they were just lathering their hands in hand sanitizer. And people were saying they could taste the hand sanitizer on the host when they received the host. That's wrong. 
that's just wrong. Is it okay in 2023 to say that's just wrong? Everybody wants to have pastoral reasons or that's your truth, your truth, my truth. You know what it is? It's the tyranny of relativism that Benedict XVI warned us against when he became Pope, when he was elected Pope. The tyranny of relativism. It's just wrong. The priests have holy hands. They don't need to be lathered up in alcohol and some cancerous hand sanitizer. Thank you for your comment, Wayne. Here's somebody right here. Concordia, I am from Austria, and yes, I was denied Holy Communion on the tongue by the priest. I felt really embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. You didn't do anything wrong, Concordia. Thank you for your witness and shame on that priest. Can we say that? Can we say shame on that priest, or do we have to be ecumenically correct? In 2023, I'm just going to hold back a lot less. Ah, this is a good one. Why does the altar boy wear gloves when handling the chalice before mass, setting up the altar? Can you explain this? I'm so glad, Mrs. G, that you asked this question. The answer is, before Vatican II, lay people, that is, anyone under subdeacon, could not touch the chalice, the ciborium, the paten. I'm trying to think what else. Maybe the Luna? I'm not sure. But any of the sacred vessels that touch or contain the Eucharist, like the precious blood, not only could lay people not touch the host and not touch the blood at all, they could not even touch the vessels that touched the body and blood of Christ. This was the teaching of the early church. St. Jerome says this is the tradition of the church. So, if an altar boy has to move a paten, a ciborium, anything of a sacred vessel, he has to put on gloves so that his flesh does not touch the sacred vessels. That is pre-Vatican II Catholicism. That's the Catholicism that I believe in. That's the Catholicism that I believe in. The same Catholicism of St. Jerome, the doctor of the church. So yes, if you go to uh, the Society of St. Pius X or the Fraternity of St. Peter or the Institute of Christ the King or a place where they follow the tradition, you will see sometimes altar boys with white gloves on if they are moving, usually a ciborium is when you'll see it. Sometimes you'll see uh, ladies who are in the altar guild and if they have to move something like that, they will wear white gloves as well. Mrs. G, I'm so glad that you asked that question and I thank you. Donna Rock agrees with me. Yes, Taylor, it is wrong to lather hands in alcohol. I agree. I mean, do we believe in the Eucharist or do we not believe in the Eucharist? Let's decide. Mad Max says, go to a traditional Latin Mass for Eastern Rite only. No Novus Ordo. I mean, I think, I don't know if I go totally that extreme, but I agree. If there is an option of TLM or Eastern Rite, I am there. Even if I have to drive a while, 
We've got to embrace tradition. Julian Wago, if St. Jerome was teaching this, then why on earth are we still having this conversation? I don't know. <laughs> you would think if you were a pope of the Catholic Church or a cardinal, you would know what St. Jerome taught and you would want to go with it. I do. I don't know. I don't know why. And not just St. Jerome. Councils taught this. Profide says, my priest encourages me to eat, even though it is a Novus Ordo Mass, he wears a Beretta also. I feel like he's a traditionalist at heart. There's a lot out there like that. We need to pray for them. I don't know what this means, but it's a super chat. Uh, from Romans 125, pair character lifting some weight saying, keep it up. I don't know what that means. All right, here we go. Daniel, I knelt to receive Holy Communion once from a Eucharistic minister. I could tell he felt so uncomfortable. And afterwards, I realized the oddity of the situation. Yes, the, the lay Eucharistic minister is a layman just like you, Daniel. So it's kind of odd to kneel and receive on the tongue when there's another layman putting the Eucharist on your tongue. I'm not saying like two laymen cancel each other out. I'm just saying that the whole thing is, is odd, as you say, oddity. Good observation. Dr. Marissa Brand, love your chandelier. Thank you. It's deer antlers. Siobhan says, no women on the altar ever. I agree. Why? Because Jesus Christ was male. He is the groom. He is God. He was male. He is male right now. Seated at the right hand of the Father, he still has his body his resurrected body. If he didn't have his resurrected body, transubstantiation would be impossible. We eat his body and drink his blood. He has a male body now. That's why it would be wrong to have women priests. Hear me out. Hear me out, people. When the priest, your priest, your pastor, Father Smith, is at the altar, and he says, hoc est enum corpus, he says, this is my body. He's saying, this is my body. And he's loaning his voice in his hands and his body to Jesus Christ for the miracle of transubstantiation. And because he's in persona Christi, that's Latin for in the person of Christ, he must have a male body. It must be a male voice with male hands and a male body with everything that comes with a male body saying, this is my body. Because Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. You see that all over the book of the Apocalypse. And then Jesus, the groom, gives his body. He lays down his body for his bride, the church, and then he gives his body to the bride, his church. So if you had a woman priest doing this, it would be a lesbian liturgy. Yes, you heard me correct. I said the word lesbian. It would be a lesbian liturgy because you'd have a female groom 
whatever that is, giving her body to the female church. Woman with woman. Wrong. You must have a male groom at the wedding supper of the Lamb, giving his body to the female church for the liturgical and mystical sign to be correct, to be biblical, to be Catholic. This is why you can never have women clergy, because Christ is a male. The Blessed Virgin Mary was a female, and she was never a deacon, never a priest, never a bishop, never a pope. She was the mother of God. All right, there might be a confusion here. Golden Boy Chavez, the super chat. Unfortunately, in California, almost all the altar servers don't wear gloves when serving at the altar. No, 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 no. That's not what we're saying. Altar boys don't wear gloves during the Mass. All right, they have bare hands in the tradition. Before Mass or after Mass, if Father says, go put this ciborium or go set the altar and put the patent out or the chalice or they need to do something, they will put gloves on to move the ciborium somewhere or to bring it to the altar. But otherwise, the altar boys are not touching any of the sacred vessels. For example, the cruets with the water and wine, those aren't sacred vessels. They can touch those. Water, wine. They can do that. We're only talking about the sacred vessels that touch the Eucharist, and that does not happen with the altar boys during Mass. So you're not going to see the white gloves during Mass. Unless something crazy happened, like they forgot the ciborium and someone had to run to the sacristy and get the ciborium, then they, the altar boys would have to put the white gloves on because they're not. But if they're a subdeacon, a deacon, a priest, or a bishop, no gloves needed. Does that make sense? This is one reason if you join a traditional Latin mass parish, you'll begin to learn all these things and see all these things. And your, your sons and your daughters will see these things. By the way, Another thing you need to know is the tabernacle in tradition is always veiled. No bare tabernacles. There's a veil over it. Why? Because the tabernacle contains life, eternal life. You'll also notice that at the traditional Latin Mass, women wear veils on their head. Why? Because women have the capacity to contain life. Do you get it? The tabernacle is veiled because it contains eternal life, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Women are veiled because they have the capacity to contain human life, which is also a sacred vocation. It is your greatest dignity, women, to wear a veil in church, in Holy Mass. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Pope Linus, the second pope, decreed that women should cover their heads whenever they are inside Catholic churches. It's because of your great dignity. After Vatican II, what did they do? They took the veils off the tabernacle. They said women don't have to wear veils in their head. And they're like, nuns, veils are optional. In my book, big mistake. Big mistake. Michael Velosa gets it. He gets the Bible. Veiling equals sacred. Thank you. Did you know the book Revelation, or in Greek, Apocalypse? You know what Apocalypse means? Apocalypse is Greek for taking away the veil. So if they took away the veils 
from the tabernacles and they took away the veils from the women and they took away the veils from the nuns, they're committing an apocalypse. And if you read the book of the apocalypse, you'll realize it ain't all roses. It's a rough go. Elizabeth A. McPherson, does it have to be a veil or is a hat permissible? A hat is permissible. I know there's some trads who are going to be like, yeah, but veils are better. I know, but a hat is permissible. And if you look at photos, for example, of the 1940s, 50s, even into the 60s, uh, hats are very common, very common. Although today in traditional Latin mass circles, you'll find almost 95% of the women are wearing men mantillas or chapel veils, but hats are allowed. That was one thing I liked when I was uh, an Episcopal priest, clergy, is uh, often women would wear uh, dignified hats to church. It's a throwback to, to previous times. I'm considering veiling at the Novus Ordo Mass. We have only Novus Ordo in my country, and I'm a bit hesitant. Just do it. You do it for Jesus. If you read St. Paul in 1 Corinthians, you do it for Jesus. If you're married, you do it for your husband. That's what the veil signifies, headship. Who cares what people believe? We got it in 2023. Who cares what people believe or say about you? They're going to say you're a science denier. They're going to say you're a racist. They're going to say you're a homophobe. Uh, what else are they going to say about you? I mean, these are all the things that we get called all the day long, and who cares? I could care less what these people say about us. So let's just stop caring, and let's just serve the Lord Jesus Christ as Christ the King. Let's just serve the Lord Jesus Christ and stop caring what these people say. So I say go for it. Veil. Somebody's going to say something to you about it. Who cares? Walk on. Ah, here we go. This might have been, is this what I read earlier? Another super chat. Redemptionis Sacramentum, paragraph 91 and 92. The faithful are not allowed to be denied kneeling and always have the right to receive on the tongue. Boom. Boom. That's it. So if a priest denies, that's on him. He's sinning. Think about if you were a priest and you died. You're in your particular judgment. You're looking into the eternal eyes of Jesus Christ. And he said, hey, remember that time you refused communion to, that, to one of my children, one of my beloved on their knees? They were trying to show devotion to me and receive communion in the mouth, and you denied them communion? That priest ain't walking straight through the pearly gates. He's either going to go to hell or he's going to have to go serve in purgatory because that ain't legit. Therese, the veil is a pious discipline, but the church does not force you to wear one or not. Well, it's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says women should wear coverings on their head. Pope Linus, the second pope, decreed that all women should cover their head inside church. So 
We're going to have to either say well, Pope Linus never said that, it's a myth, or we're going to disobey Pope Linus. And then three, in the 1917 Code of Canon Law, it required all women to cover their head inside church. Now, it's true. The 1917 Code of Canon Law was displaced by the 1983 Code of Canon Law. But the 1983 Code of Canon Law doesn't say you, can't, you can, can or cannot wear the veil. If you wanted to be super strict, you would say that the 1917 custom and the custom of Pope Linus I is still in place. Now, I'm not going to chase after you and say, oh, it's a sin if you don't wear a veil and all that. But I think we do need to take it seriously. And in the Eastern Rite, they ask you to wear a veil on your head. It's only since the church was infiltrated and updated and modernized that we got away from it. Every woman in the 1800s, 1700s, 1300s, 900s, 700s, 500s, 300s, 200s, every single one of those women in the church when they came into church, were covering their head, every single one of them. Did we suddenly get enlightened in 1970 when everything got all hippie and groovy? Why are we moving away from our traditions and breaking our traditions? You're using a green screen, LLL. No, I'm not. The veil, here's a good one. The veil is a sign of service to Christ. It is a public testimony to our Lord. Thank you. Thank you. We put veils on our priests. They're called vestments. It means they're sacred. They're going in to do holy war at the altar. They don't just walk in with jeans and a t-shirt and a cross around their neck that says, I'm a priest. No, they wear sacred vestments that are blessed to veil their personality. Do you still have blessed water at the entrance in your local churches? I haven't seen it for almost two years, but every church has alcohol. What? Go find a traditional at Mass. Where, where I've been to Mass, when I go to the Institute of Christ the King or the Fraternity of St. Peter or the Society of St. Pius X, they all have holy water. I haven't seen any hand sanitizer in any of these places. Oh, here's a good one right here. Make compliments to women in veil. I agree. Now, be careful, right? You don't want to offend or make anybody uncomfortable. But I think especially women complimenting other women like, I love your veil. Where'd you get it? Is a really nice thing to do. Not during Mass before after mass yeah let's create a culture that's wholesome let's create a culture that encourages people who are trying to live a traditional life i know a lot of people say oh trads are mean and all that honestly if you try to live the traditional life and receive on the tongue and and wear a veil all these novus ordo people are going to be all up in your grill about it who cares keep on going Uh, Veronica says, can you please explain what you mean by Eastern and Western? Yes. So in the Catholic Church, the largest uh, patrimony or ritual church is the Roman Rite. That's in, you know, basically everything from Constantinople 
to the to the west traditionally. And then in the first thousand years or so, everything to the east was the Eastern Church. And those were ruled by four patriarchs. Now, once we get to the 1500s, the Roman Catholic Church actually takes the lion's share of the East. When it comes to Africa, the Catholics had the most. When it comes to India, the Catholics had the most. When it comes to, uh, I don't know, name any of those Eastern lands, the Catholics, their missionary efforts, and the good and holy Jesuits converted many people. But there is this idea that there are the Eastern patrimonies, the Eastern rites, even though it's no longer really uh, geographical, because you have Eastern rites in Texas and in Chicago and in California, even though geographically those are all Western places. But it's the Eastern liturgical legacy, primarily the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. And it's been unchanged by Vatican II. So when you go to those rituals, those liturgies, you're seeing ancient patristic liturgy, just like in the Roman rite. So that's what we mean Eastern and Western. Peter says, women can wear hats in church, but men can't. Correct. If you're a man, do not wear a hat. I have walked up to a guy in a Catholic mass who was wearing a hat. I said, take your hat off. And he looked at me like, oh, man. And I said, take your hat off. Men don't wear hats in church. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, men don't cover their heads in church, and women do cover their heads in church. And there's a whole theology behind it. 1 Corinthians 11, go read it. All right, let's see. What happened to Father Frank Pavone? I'm sad and confused, doctor. Please help me understand. Thank you. Father Frank Pavone is still doing well. And he's, as he said when I interviewed him, he's either waiting for Pope Francis to reverse his decision or he's waiting for Pope Francis to die so that he can appeal to the next pope. It's a very rigid situation that Pope Francis has created for Father Pavone. You'll notice that under Pope Francis, the good guys are, t are usually punished and the bad guys are usually left alone. Unless there's a big, shameful public event like an ex-Cardinal McCarrick, and then they'll do something. Joey, my buddy Joey, he says, I've asked a man to remove a hat as well. Yes, men don't wear hats in church. Disrespectful. Good job, Joey. Keep it up. Julian says, hats are a great alternative to veils for women that don't feel comfortable going all the way to veils. My wife had a way easier time adjusting to the hat than with the veil. Yep, it's completely legit. The entire, by the way, the entire European tradition of women wearing hats, which was very common until about the 1960s, is because of the Roman Catholic Church. Women covering their heads in public and in, you know, in travel or in formal events, definitely in church, was because of the Roman Catholic Church and the stipulations. Oh, here we go. This is a good one. Tammy. My young daughter needed Holy Communion on the tongue and was denied by the Eucharistic minister. The priest had to intervene and told him, give her Holy Communion. It was very awkward. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is why I encourage parents, if you can, not everybody can. If you don't have access to a traditional Latin Mass, 
and you can move, you work remotely or you can get transferred to another place and you can get a traditional Latin mass in Catholic schools and Catholic community, I strongly urge you to do that. I strongly urge you because when you look back on your life, you will see that your children were raised in a liturgically reverent, orthodox place with good sermons and good confessions. You will see that you and your spouse had Catholic friends who were godparents to your children who believed the traditional, biblical, orthodox Catholic faith. You will be part of a community, schools. Your life over time will be so blessed if you can integrate into an authentic, traditional Catholic community. So please consider it. All right? And you know what I'm going to say. If you need help selling your house and finding a new house somewhere else, get an agent who can understand what you're trying to do. And that's why I always recommend Real Estate for Life. Go to realestateforlife.org, not .com. realestateforlife.org and get connected with the agent who can help you sell your house anywhere in the world and move to anywhere else. Realestateforlife.org and tell them you heard about it at the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast. All right, let's continue to take some more questions. Janet O'Connor, Benedict did not resign or quit. He retired the active ministry only. He did not renounce the office or the munis. This was the really the opinion of Archbishop Garrett Genswein, who I talked about yesterday, the day before. Um, I'm open to it and I'm sympathetic. And I, of course, had uh, guests on the podcast who believe this. Um, but I really think we need ecclesiastical direction on this point from the cardinals. And this is why I often say the, the cardinals should intervene the Cardinals should start an investigation on whether or not Pope Francis is either heretical or tyrannical. St. Robert Bellarmine in his book, De Ecclesia, says that if a Pope should appear to be a manifest heretic or a tyrant, the Church of Rome, the Cardinals should come together, admonish him and investigate. And if they find him to be a tyrant or a heretic, it means he's already lost the papacy. They don't actually depose him. He's already deposed himself. But until that process begins, we lay people, I think, have to be very careful and basically silent on the topic. This is why I refer to Pope Francis as the putative pope. We need the cardinals to step up. Maybe now that Benedict XVI has died, maybe the cardinals will step up. And we urge you, as little lay people down here, please intervene, admonish Francis, and begin an investigation. Aaron says, Francis will someday be declared anti-pope. We shall wait and see. Aaron Slavic, answer my question. I haven't seen your question yet, but I'll try to find it. I'm, I'm scrolling. Aaron, can you just... Re-ask your question, and I'll get to it. Uh, the Catholic fam says, what do you think of the catechism in a year by Father Mike Schmitz? I think it's great that people want to get catechized, and I applaud it. I give it a standing ovation. I'm just not a fan 
of the 1990s Catechism of the Catholic Church. Pope Francis just revised it and changed it to say opposite what it said before. It's, it's slippery. The Catechism of the Catholic Church under John Paul II has been revised under Francis, and it's a slippery catechism. This is why I'm always telling you to read the Catechism of the Council of Trent first. Memorize that one. Read that one. And um, I believe Father Dave Nix has a podcast where he works through the Catechism of Trent. I know he's done the Catechism of St. Pius X, Pope Pius X, and I think he's also been doing the Catechism of Trent. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain because I've listened to part of those. So, so I, yeah, I think Father Mike Schmidt is, is, it's a worthy cause. I'm just, the Catechism of the Catholic Church from the 1990s, I just, I'm just not a fan. Renee says, the road to hell is paved with the skulls of Bishop St. John Eudes. You know, I've heard this quote over and over through the years, and I've never been actually able to give the citation to a real saint or doctor of the church. Most of the time, people say St. John Chrysostom, but I don't think St. John Chrysostom said it. So I'd really like to know who said it. Was it St. John Eudes? I'd love to know. Do you have a citation, Renee? I'd love it. I'd love it. Renee, I'm still, or is it Renee? Not Renee. I'm still looking for your question, the person asking Aaron Slavic, I'm still looking for it. You can just keep saying answer it, but if you don't give me the question, I won't, I won't see it. Uh, here we go. Aaron, here's your question. What about starting a pre-schism movement? Five holy sees of Rome, Francis, Peter, Antioch, John X, Peter, Jerusalem, Alexandria, Constantinople. Uh, no, not interested in that whatsoever because the five, the pentarchy of the five patriarchics is not apostolic. It's not biblical. It was basically created by the Byzantine Empire to move the weight of authority away from Rome and center it into five other patriarchates. And if you look at history, those patriarchates fell in and out of communion and heresy with each other over the centuries. To, to think that there was a established pentarchy that was consistent from basically the Second Ecumenical Council until 1054 is just a lie. It's not true. All right, you already have Antioch and Alexandria becoming monophysite. You have Constantinople in and out of heresy over all those centuries. The only one that really stayed true for that first thousand years was Rome. So... I have zero sympathy or zero interest in doing the pentarchy. I think it's a mistake. It'll lead to more schism, ultimately. But what do you think? Am I wrong? Here we go. <laughs> There's another quote. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. That one I can believe. I just don't know about the skull of bishops. I've looked and looked and I can't find it. This is an interesting question. Jody Motley, should older women past menopause like me still veil at mass? Yes, of course. Of course. Just because you've lost 
the ability to conceive doesn't take away your dignity as a woman. Or if a woman could never conceive because of some accident or genetic problem, if she's a woman, she should still veil. She has the dignity of being a woman. Otherwise, if it was just related to the, act, the actuality of procreative power, technically only pregnant women would veil because they actually have life growing within them. But even when a woman is not pregnant, she still veils because of her dignity as a woman. All right, we're coming up on the hour. I'm going to take one more question. Dr. Taylor Marshall, is it okay to read the King James Version Bible and then use the RSV for missing books? My Bible has two thin pages and makes it hard to read. Do not read the King James Bible. We, we should not be reading uh, Protestant translations. You should read the Dewey Rames Bible, and I think you can get one that has bigger print. It'll solve two problems. You won't have a heretical translation, and two, you'll have the seven missing books. Um, I have a plan for you to read the entire Catholic Bible. I've got a Bible cheat sheet that's going to give you all the verses for all the Catholic dogmas and morals, how to answer people say, where's that in the Bible? Where's confessing your sins to a priest in the Bible? You pull out the Catholic cheat sheet. It's right here in John chapter 20. Uh, where is transubstantiation in the Bible? It's right here. Where does that say, where is this about the Blessed Virgin Mary? Try right here in the Bible. Didn't Jesus have brothers and sisters? Well, and actually in the Bible it says this. And you can refute every objection using the Bible. That's what I call the Catholic Bible cheat sheet. I also have the one-year plan for reading the entire Catholic Bible. Today is January 5th, so you're only four days behind. You can easily catch up. And then I also have a video of every single book, me explaining every single book of the Bible the Catholic Bible, and explaining this is where Jesus is in the Old Testament. Mary, the seven sacraments, the Catholic Church, our liturgy, our traditions. I go through literally every book of the Bible, and I'd like to invite y'all, I'll, I'll sign off with this, go to newsaintthomas.com. This is where I teach online courses, and I have helped thousands of people in apologetics, theology, how to answer all these objections against our beloved, beautiful Catholic faith, and also how to read the Bible and understand it as a Catholic. You know, we don't read the Bible like Protestants. We read the Bible in light of tradition and the magisterium, and so we're going to help you do that. So we're taking on 100 new students at the beginning of the year. This is the winter enrollment. You can be one of those 100 new students. Go to NewStThomas.com, NewStThomas.com, and sign up. As a student, you'll get the one-year Bible plan. You'll get the Bible Catholic cheat sheet. You'll get all the videos on every book of the Bible. And also, I'll be putting out soon the Apocalyptic Studies course. And we'll be going through not just the book of Revelation, but First Enoch, the Old Testament, um, Apocalypses, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Isaiah. And we'll also be looking at some of the early church fathers on the end times. And then we'll also be looking into some of the apocryphal works 
on those topics. So if you want access to that, also the course on how to go to the traditional Latin mass and the Roman rite and how, where to put your ribbons and how to say the responses in Latin and how to pronounce Latin and all that, all of that will be included in your winter enrollment here. So get started, NSTI, New St. Thomas Institute. Go to newstthomas.com, newstthomas.com. All right, make sure you're praying your rosary every single day. If you want to be a saint, pray the rosary every day. Why? Because you have to pray every day. We have to pray every single day. And if you're like me, I can get kind of lazy. But if I know I got to pray that rosary, the rosary is going to make sure that I say my Our Fathers, my Hail Marys, my Glory Be. It's going to make sure I say the Apostles' Creed, the Hail Holy Queen. And it's going to make sure that I spend at least 20 minutes thinking about the mysteries of Jesus and Mary in the Bible. So if it's a joyful mystery, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm thinking about how the angel Gabriel came and announced to the Virgin Mary and Christ was conceived in her immaculate womb and then how she visited Elizabeth and Elizabeth said, how is it that the mother of the Lord comes to me? And then Jesus born in Bethlehem and he was presented on the feast of the purification and the temple and how Jesus and Mary found him in the temple. That day, I got to hang out devotionally with Jesus Christ in a pattern of prayers. This is the beauty of the rosary. So you must pray the rosary every day or you're not on the team. Pray the rosary every day. All right, thanks for watching. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. Make sure you like the video. Thumbs up. Share it on Facebook and Twitter. And also subscribe if you're new. Hit the bell for notifications. Till next time. Peace. And pray. Pray for Pope Benedict and the repose of his soul.